Please turn again to 1 Timothy chapter 2. Again, there's page numbers on the green sheet. There are also some notes to help you if you want to know where we're going with this. 1 Timothy chapter 2. We're in verses 8 to 15, and these verses tell us about men and women and their roles in the church. Now, I don't think I need to persuade you that that's uh, a subject of interest to many people, a subject of relevance. Last year, the BBC and other organisations launched the 50-50 challenge. Do you know what the 50-50 challenge is? It's, it's aiming that contributors to each show on TV, radio and online would be split equally, 50-50, between men and women. And they don't mean contributing behind the scenes, they mean who you actually see on TV. The aim is that by a certain point in time, it's 50-50 men and women on each show, including Match of the Day and other shows that are nowhere near 50-50 now. Now, how would Hollywell get on on the 50-50 challenge? Now, those who are members see at the annual church meeting a list of who's preached over the last year. Compare that with the 50-50 challenge. Yes, it's at 100-0 for those who aren't clear. So we are tremendously out of line with our society. Tremendously out of line. So this is a hot issue, and it's also a hard issue. It's a hard issue because it's sensitive, and anyone who's got some rotten vegetables stored away, (laughs) please don't throw them. I will try to be sensitive. I'm not very good at that, but I will try. So it's a hard issue because it's sensitive. It's also a hard issue because there are difficult things to understand in these verses. In fact, some of the key words in these verses don't come up anywhere else in the New Testament, which makes it quite hard to interpret. So sometimes this evening, I will have to stop preaching and instead suggest. And I hope you know what the difference is. Because preaching is saying, this is what God is saying to us now, and this is how we must respond. Preaching isn't, here's my opinion on it. But sometimes tonight, I'll have to stop doing that and suggest, here's what I think it's saying, but... I'm thinking, but it's difficult. And that also means that, please, you've got to be prepared to work hard at listening, because there are difficult things here. And remember, this is God's word. Verses 8 to 15 of Timothy are God's word. So they are worth working at listening to. So, let's work through verses 8 to 15, but we're going to start, actually, with what's it all about? Before we get into the verses, what's it all about? Now, we could see in verses 8 to 15, one of our society's hot issues and jump straight in, and it would be a mistake. Because Paul didn't put this here so we could know what the Bible says about feminism. That wasn't his aim. Why did he put this here? Why did God put this here? Well, do you remember the aim of 1 Timothy? Uh, When this series started, Seth preached on 1 Timothy 3, verse 14 and 15, because that's the aim verses for 1 Timothy. The aim of 1 Timothy is this, 1 Timothy 3, verse 14, Although I hope to come to you soon, I'm writing you these instructions so that, if I am delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. This letter is written so the church should be the foundation of the truth, in other words, defend it, and also the pillar of the truth, 
In other words, display it. And then verse 16 says, this truth is all about Jesus. That's why it suddenly launches. Verse 16 sounds like a change of topic, but it's not. It's saying this truth is all about Jesus. So in other words, the church here, Hollywell, is to be a pillar displaying him, the truth about him. So to do that, we need what we've seen in chapter one, which is to stop false teaching and promote the truth. To do that, we need what we heard last week in chapter two, to pray for people to be saved. Because being the pillar, displaying the truth, however clearly you display it, is no good if people are blind. So we need to pray for God to open eyes and save. And to do that, be the pillar displaying the truth, we also need our verses to live as a display of the truth. And this might seem odd to us, but our verses are saying getting male and female roles right is part of living as a display of the truth. It seemed to be a part needing attention in Ephesus, which is where Timothy was living. It seems they had some problems with male-female relationships. It seems that there were false teachers who had a negative view of ordinary, daily, and maybe particularly family life. If you look at chapter 4, verse 3. Chapter 4, verse 3. These false teachers forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving. So these false teachers seem to have a negative view of ordinary daily life. Maybe a bit like the ones in Corinth. They thought, we're super spiritual. We're above that. Paul says, no, no, you've got the wrong idea. In fact, ordinary daily family life is part of the way we display the truth. Have a look at chapter 5, verse 14. So I counsel younger widows to marry, to have children, to manage their homes, and to give the enemy no opportunity for slander. Maybe there were things disorderly in their family life. And Paul's saying, look, you've got to make sure your family life is in line with the truth, as we are a pillar displaying the truth. And one of the ways we live as a display of the truth is how we relate to each other when we meet together as a church. Think of it this way. What parts of the New Testament give instruction on the church meeting together? Can you think of parts of the New Testament that instruct us what to do when we meet like this? The answer is there's very few. It's very few that are instructions about what to do when the New Testament church meets. Surprisingly little. I can think of three. This one, 1 Timothy 2. 1 Corinthians 11, 1 Corinthians 14. You could also say the end of Acts 2. Um, It's more a description than instruction. Those three that I've mentioned, 1 Timothy 2, 1 Corinthians 11, 1 Corinthians 14, do you know what they all include? They all include comments on male-female roles. And they all include comments that are rather unpopular in our society. That's interesting, isn't it? Very little on what we do when we meet together. And the three main ones include male-female roles commented on. This must matter to God. So although it's sensitive and controversial, we couldn't skip. You might think it would have been nice to skip these verses, but we couldn't. They obviously matter to God. So, let's get into our verses. We're just going to work through verses 8 to 15, rather Bible study-like. 
And we're going to begin with something for men to work at. Something for men to work at. Now, God says in verse 1, he wants everyone to pray. Because, he says in verse 4, he wants people to be saved. But as the church meets and prays, it must watch out for things that may spoil it. In verse 9, we'll be told ways that women must be careful not to spoil the church's display of the truth. But in verse 8, we're told ways that men must be careful. What ways must men be careful not to spoil the church's display of the truth? Verse 8, I want men everywhere to lift up holy hands in prayer without anger or disputing. Men be careful not to spoil the church's display of the truth by anger and disputing. It seems there were men in Ephesus who were angry with each other and who were arguing with each other. And Paul says, you're going to spoil the church being a pillar displaying the truth, so you've got to stop it. Now, maybe it's not just in Ephesus. Maybe this is a tendency of men more generally. You always have to be careful, don't you, about making these sorts of comments. Although, actually, our society seems fairly happy with these sorts of comments. It's when I get onto the women's one that I'll be in trouble. Because there's a lot of talk in our society about toxic masculinity. Male aggressiveness. Men can be like the stags in Bradgate Park at this time of year, wanting to assert their dominance. And what trouble it can cause in churches. What powerlessness it can bring in praying. It is significant that Jesus several times links our relationships with others and getting reconciled with us praying. Because we can harm our prayers if we are arguing and disputing. Men must be careful not to spoil the church's witness by that. Instead, they should do what? Verse 8. Instead, they should pray. Lift up holy hands in prayer. By the way, I don't think that means we have to have our hands up when we pray. Uh, There are elements that are cultural in these verses. That's one of the things that makes them difficult to interpret. By the way, it does mean you can't tell off people who do have their hands up in the air as being unbiblical because it says here to do it. I just don't think it says we have to do this in every culture. But it does say that men are to pray. To pray. Now, when verse 8 says, I want men to pray, by the way, I hope you realise that when back in verse 4 it says God wants all men to be saved, the word there for men just means mankind. It doesn't mean he wants men, not women. But in verse 8 it does mean male. He wants males to pray. But it doesn't mean women shouldn't. I hope we're clear on that. It doesn't mean women shouldn't. I suggest, here is where I'm stepping out of preaching for a minute, and I'm suggesting, I suggest it is saying that men should take a lead. I suggest it's saying something like this. Men, come on, take responsibility and take a lead. Because that is the general tenor across the Bible. Men, come on, take responsibility and take a lead. I went to a church where it was never said, but it was generally the unspoken rule that women didn't pray aloud in the prayer meeting. And I remember once, when I was a teenager, then going on holiday to a place, I won't say where it is in case anyone knows the church, and there at the prayer meeting, you didn't hear anything from the men And so the women had to do all the praying. Now, both are wrong. 
the no women just keep quiet, and the men not getting on and taking a lead and just leaving it to the women to do. I'm thankful that Hollywell isn't like either of those. As far as I can see, it's not like either of those. Let's make sure that continues. Now, before we move on to verse 9, just notice this. Notice that the Bible gives us a much better model of masculinity than our society does. Last weekend, I was flying to Riga on the Friday morning. But do you know who else was flying to Riga on a Friday morning? If you know what Riga is like, you might know this. A load of blokes on a stag do's. Oh, dear. Loutish posturing, trying to show how tough they were. I don't know how much they'd had to drink already. Thinking this is masculine. Oh, what a pain. I don't know if it was a failure of masculinity on my part, not to tell them, pipe down, which is what I was definitely feeling. But on the other hand, our society often puts down masculinity and leaves men unsure of what their role is. Instead of those two bad approaches, the Bible tells men, be strong to take responsibility. The Bible says, men, your model of masculinity is Jesus. And he was strong. Strong to take responsibility, not to assert himself, but to serve others. Isn't the Bible's model so much better than our society? There's something for men to work at. Now we move on to something for women to work at. The women must also be careful not to spoil the church's display of the truth. How? Verse 9. Verse 9, I also want women to dress modestly, with decency and propriety, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or expensive clothes, but with good deeds, appropriate for women who profess to worship God. How are the women to be careful not to spoil the church's display? This isn't the only thing that women are to do. I hope you realise that. But here it says, be careful by how they, not to spoil the church's display by how they dress, by how they show themselves. Now, I expect we've all seen period dramas. So we all know that styles of dress are very different in different societies. And so, verse 9 is not a permanent ban on all plaits and all gold rings. Okay, because there are some cultural elements here. Again, that's one of the things that makes these verses difficult. There are some cultural elements here. But while some specifics may be cultural, we can't use that to dismiss the verse's obvious principles. There are obvious principles here that are not just limited to one culture. I'm going to tell you what they are. They are this, dress in a way that in your culture will be seen as inexpensive, not extravagant, modest, not vain or showy, and chaste, not suggestive. I can't remember who I got those from. They're not original to me. Those three, I got them from one of the commentators. I thought that was quite a good three. Inexpensive, not extravagant, modest, not vain or showy, and chaste, not suggestive. But when I read him say suggestive, I also thought it's worth saying this, that there are many clothes in our society that aren't just suggestive. They go beyond suggesting because they put some things on blatant show that shouldn't be. 
I remember taking someone's wedding, not anyone here, and there was someone from another church was going to read the Bible, but I didn't know who, but I knew it was a woman. I was standing at the door, and this woman came in in a very tight, short dress, and I sort of joked to myself, (laughs) she'll probably be the one reading the Bible. You can all guess, can't you? She was the one reading the Bible. Too late to do anything about it. Well, I didn't do anything about it. But, serious point, by displaying herself like that, she was hindering the church being a display of the truth. Now, by the way, this verse is not at all claiming that men don't have to take any care about this. Just as verse 8 wasn't saying women never have an issue with anger or disputing. I'm sure we all recognise that that both sexes can have difficulties in these areas. Paul seems to be addressing a situation in Ephesus where women seem to particularly have an issue with how they dressed. Maybe associated with, well, if you know anything about the culture, the Greek culture of the time, yet women's dress was dreadful. But I suspect he's also saying beyond Ephesus, but more generally, It's something women more often have to watch out for than men. Now, you might be thinking, it's all very well he said those three things, but what exactly counts as modest clothes? Well, I could try to describe modest clothes. Or even better, we could have some pictures on the screen now. This one's modest, this one's not. (laughs) But I haven't prepared such pictures, that would be very embarrassing. But not having done it doesn't mean it doesn't matter. Because we do need practical advice on the subject. So wives need to talk to their husbands about it. And then need to talk to unmarried women about it. Because we live in a society with very poor standards on this. And because we shop in our society shops, at least I presume you do, if you don't give it careful thought you are almost bound to be going against verse 9. Women are told, don't display yourselves in a way that harms the church being a display of the truth. What are women to display instead? Verse 10. But with good deeds, appropriate for women who profess to worship God. Now again, The Bible is so much better than our society. Because our society likes to say, don't objectify women, but we all know it does. It likes to say women are about more than their looks, but we all know how it treats women. Think of the magazine racks in newsagents, and I'm not talking about the top shelves. What are most of the women on the front covers there for? Their looks, and not dressed in a verse 9 way. The Bible values beauty. It doesn't say beauty is irrelevant. It values beauty, but it says a woman isn't just an object to look good. She's a person made in God's image to do good. She isn't just an object for cosmetic surgery, so she looks beautiful. She's the focus of God's heart surgery, so her character is beautiful. Again, the Bible is better than our society. I know this is a sensitive subject, but we don't need to be on the back foot on this. We have something better than our society. Now, having commented on women's clothes, I am going to skate out onto even more thin ice. Because next we have some more on a woman's role. 
First of all, a woman's role in church, verses 11 to 14. Now, here we get to very difficult verses. There are some big difficulties here. So, for example, the last word of verse 12, does it mean silent or does it just mean quietness? In other words, maybe some women were being disruptive in the worship and just needed to quieten down. It's a difficult word to translate. Or take in verse 12 the very key word, authority. That's the key word here. But do you know where else you'll find this word? Nowhere else in the New Testament. <laughs> now, that doesn't make it impossible to translate, because it is in other Greek literature, but it's, it's rare and difficult. So it's not surprising different versions have translated it differently. In fact, what we now call the King James Version, which I take it no one thinks is a feminist version, uh, translates it usurping authority. So it's a difficult word. You also have this, because 1 and 2 Timothy refer to problems with women going along with false teaching. Both 1 and 2 Timothy refer to women getting taken in by false teaching. Some say Paul here is giving a temporary ban on them teaching, so they don't, like Eve, cause a lot of trouble. So you've got this reference to Eve causing trouble in verse 13 and 14, and it's Paul saying, look what trouble it caused when, some, when a woman taught false teaching. So here we're going to have a temporary ban on women teaching because some are getting taken in by false teachers. But if the issue was false teaching, wouldn't Paul say so? And would he really stop all women in Ephesus teaching just because some were teaching wrongly? That doesn't sound a very fair approach. You never find Paul banning all men from teaching, even though he repeatedly refers to male false teachers. In fact, rather than giving the reason as something temporary in Ephesus, Paul gives the reason as the order God put in in creation. That, I think, is what's going on in verse 13. God put an order into creation. It's not saying Adam is superior to Eve, no. But Adam was made as head with Eve as the helper. And then verse 14 is not saying, and women are generally more gullible than men. That's not what it's saying. It is a difficult verse, and again I'm going to suggest, I suggest it's saying, look what happened when Adam failed to take his responsibility and, let his, and he let his wife be deceived. So we need men to take their responsibility and guard the church just as Adam should have guarded the garden. Interestingly, there's big links between the garden and the temple in the Old Testament. Adam should have guarded that garden temple. Look what happened when he didn't and he just sat back and let his wife take the lead. So, it is saying as an enduring principle that in the church women are not to teach or to have authority over a man. But when it comes to working out exactly what that means in practice, it's hard to know exactly where you draw the line. There are some things we can say definitely right, and some things we can say definitely wrong. And where we draw the line in the middle can be quite hard to do. What sort of teaching should women not do? They clearly can do some, because in Titus, which is closely connected with 1 Timothy, they are told to teach other women. In 1 Corinthians 11, they prophesy. And elsewhere they prophesy. Which is speaking God's words, although it is different from teaching them. There is a difference between prophesying and teaching. What sort of authority should a woman not have over a man? 
Now, we can say some things definitely. They are not to preach. They are not to give the church's authoritative teaching. So when I referred to earlier, you know, if you look at our preaching record, it's not 50-50, it's 100-0. I'm fully intending it stays 100-0. They're not to be the elders of the church taking leadership of the flock. They're not to be in a position where they command men. Although, if we're honest, how often in our interpersonal relationships in the church are we commanding each other? I hope we're, we're not most of the time, because I hope we're not that bossy. So there is a principle here which is enduring. It's not just for Ephesus. There is a principle that does make a difference between men and women. There's a difference where we can clearly say some things are off limits. When it comes to the fine-tuning of exactly what, we have to admit there are difficulties. But that doesn't mean we're left just all at sea, not able to know what to do. And in all this, we must remember the church is a body. A body in which each part, whether noticed or unnoticed, has a valuable role. And women took many different roles in the New Testament church. So I think it's worth us pausing for a minute and seeing, can you think of some of the ways that women took a role in the New Testament church? Have a think and let's see if we can hear some of them. Think of some women in the New Testament church and what they did. Anyone want to suggest some? Priscilla. Priscilla. Now, Priscilla is a very good example because she is mentioned many times, always along with her husband, doing what sort of things? She was involved in evangelism. She was involved in teaching of a sort. Her and her husband explained the way of God more clearly to Apollos. Anything else Priscilla did? Together with her husband? Supporting Paul, actually um, suffering persecution along with him, opening her home for the church to meet in it. Amazing woman. Priscilla, who else? Lydia. 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 So she seems pretty prominent in that group in Philippi and giving hospitality to Paul. Yeah. Anyone else? Phoebe. Phoebe in Romans 16 a servant of the church in Sincrea. Interestingly, the same word as deacon. Now we have to be a bit careful how we take that word. But there we have it. The same word as deacon, a servant applied to this woman. Clearly a prominent woman with a role. Anyone else? You've got uh, Yodia and Syndica. Uh, they've got to agree with each other. And uh, there were uh, helpers with Paul contending Yeah, yeah. So those women are often known for, the thing they're most famous for is they've fallen out. I've heard them called so touchy and, what was the other? I can't think what the other one is. But, but, I, but we can fail to notice that Paul commends them as women who've worked together with him. Don't know quite what that work is. Dorcas. A whole load of women in Romans 16. There's a whole load of women there. That, that Paul greets and commends for their hard work along with him, work in the gospel. Later on in 1 Timothy chapter 5, widows who are on some sort of list as some sort of church workers. When it's hard to work out exactly what, but they've got a formal role. Older women teaching younger women in Titus 2. So notice, the church is a body, 
many different roles. The roles taken by women are varied and valued, but none are in clear contradiction to what we've learnt from 1 Timothy chapter 2. I say none are in clear contradiction. There are some slightly difficult cases, but none are in clear contradiction to what we've learnt from 1 Timothy chapter 2. And then the chapter ends with its most difficult verse, verse 15. Verse 15, but women will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love and holiness with propriety. Now, down through church history, there's been a tradition of taking this as being about Mary. It's said about the woman's role in the fall, but now it's saying, look at what an amazing role the woman has had in salvation history, bringing the Messiah. That actually is stronger than it might look from our English translations. There are good points that can be made from that, but I'm going to suggest, again, I'm I'm, I'm having to be in the realm of suggesting something else. I think you need to remember Philippians 2, verses 12 and 13. Do you know those verses? Philippians 2, verse 12, work out your salvation with fear and trembling because it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good pleasure. In other words, our salvation isn't complete yet. There's more to come because it's about being made like Christ and we aren't fully like him yet. There's more saving to be done in us, more making like Christ to be done and it's something we have to work at. Work at your salvation. And for Timothy, the main sphere of life in which he will work at growing in Christ-likeness is his role as a church leader. Look at chapter 4, verse 16. Chapter 4, verse 16. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. It's not teaching that Paul was saved, justified, forgiven by being a good minister. It's... That's the sphere of life in which you are to work at Christ-likeness. Because it was his main role in life. And for most women, the main sphere of life in which they'll work at growing in Christ-likeness is their role as a mother. And I'd suggest that's what verse 15 is saying. There's the main sphere of life in which you work at growing in Christ-likeness. And isn't it a good way to grow in Christ-likeness? Seeing as it involves such self-denial, such service for others, even physically, like Christ, being affected by how you serve others. In it they are to work at and persevere in, what does verse 15 say? Faith and love and holiness and propriety. Now, we don't talk about propriety. It's basically respectable behaviour. You know, we even sometimes dismiss it. That's just being middle class. But actually, the Bible is interested in respectable behaviour because it's very interested in how we commend the gospel to those outside. Now, I know that not all women are mothers, but the Bible isn't embarrassed to say That's the usual role of women, while that doesn't make those who don't have it inferior. That's a very important point. The Bible is not embarrassed to say that is the role of most women, but it doesn't make those who don't have that role inferior. Just as 
it is usual for most men at some point to become a husband and a father, but Jesus was neither, and that does not make him inferior. I think verse 15 is also taking the most obvious example of a woman doing something a man cannot do. Despite the law courts recently saying, ruling that a man was a male mother. But anyway, that's just craziness. But I don't know if you noticed that it happened. Was it last week or the week before in the British law courts? But um, hopefully we haven't fallen for that sort of thing. And no, this is the most obvious example of a woman doing something a man cannot do. It's taking a role that is often undervalued, and including by churches who can often give the impression it's only what, you, what is noticed in church that is valued. And it's saying to women who could be affected by such teaching that was going on then and it still goes on now, it's saying you don't need to be a teacher in the church or to be a leader to be valuable to God. You don't need a man's role to be valuable to God. You can work at Christ-likeness in your daily role as a mother. Now, if that was needed in Timothy's day, I'm pretty sure it's needed today also. Well, we've covered some difficult and controversial and highly sensitive verses and issues, and so far you haven't looked too unhappy. I'm glad about that. But it is God's word, and it's given for our good. So don't forget the purpose of it all. Have you remembered the purpose of it all? Last, week I was in, last weekend I was in Latvia, and I saw this pillar, massive pillar. It stretched up above the rooftops, and it held on the top, a statue of a woman holding up three stars. And it represented Latvia celebrating its independence. It was such a powerful symbol of Latvian independence that under the Soviets, if you stood near it looking at it for too long, the KGB would haul you in. It's amazing they didn't destroy it. Because this pillar was such an obvious display of celebrating Latvian independence. Well, 1 Timothy 3 verse 15 says, the church is to be like that pillar. It is to be unmistakably displaying the truth of Jesus. And 1 Timothy says, we do that by teaching the gospel. And we do that by praying for God to save people. But we also do it by living the truth, including in how men and women relate to each other in the church. So let's pray for that now.